Good to have you here today. If you're in Kidmo, I'm going to let you go ahead and head back to Kidmo. If you are a guest and you have a second through fifth grader, then they have their own time of teaching and small groups and some fun things that they do. If you want to walk back and see where they're headed, you can do that. But uh, you guys are dismissed to go. We're so glad to have you. It's, it's a beautiful day so far, a little chilly. I was ready for short sleeves from now on, and that's not the case today. But um, we're just uh, thankful for everyone who's serving and giving all the time that you're putting in. And we're really looking forward to next weekend. We've got a big weekend planned. Uh, a couple of things you can be praying about is certainly be praying for that. We, we hope to have an opportunity to minister to a lot of families in the area. You know, we do an egg hunt not because we just love Easter eggs. It's not because you can't put on a perfectly fine Easter egg hunt at your own home. But we do it because it gives us an opportunity to meet people in the community and give them something fun for their kids to come do. And uh, Tiffany, I don't know if Tiffany's in here or not, but Tiffany, there she is, uh, has gotten us an opportunity to hand out. They're going to give a a flyer to every child at at Red Bank Elementary School. So we could have a lot of kids here. So if if you're thinking about volunteering or helping with that, don't think. Just do it. So come and be here. We may have 10 people here, or we may have 1,000. I doubt we'll have 1,000. But... Um, we hope that you'll come and, and, and take part in that. Also, another thing you can be praying for this week, many of you know that Kelly Wood's dad, Keith, has been struggling just recently with cancer. He's probably had it for a while, uh, but they just found it just a few weeks ago. And he was undergoing some treatment uh, so he could undergo some surgery needed to, to take care of that. Uh, but he took a turn for the worse this week, and he passed away uh, yesterday. So be in, be in prayer for Kelly, for their family, for their friends, and all that they're going through. Uh, it's very unexpected. All of this happened just within the span of a very few weeks. Uh, so be in prayer for them, and uh, if you see them, just maybe give them a word of encouragement. We're continuing our series today called Fear Not, and we've been talking about fear. We started talking about it last week. The reality is that a lot of us live our lives based on our response to certain things that might cause us discomfort or pain or heartache. And that's not the way God has called us to live. We all have certain fears and we all struggle with certain things. And, you know, I'm not going to go try to get a job that's going to require me to walk on skyscrapers. I'm not going to do it. If I've got to learn how to weld and then go to the top of a 50-story building, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. You know, there are certain fears that we have that we all share that we're We're just not going to be able to overcome. But there are some that it is crucial as followers of Christ that you and I learn to overcome our fears. I'm not going to show you videos like I did last week. Some of you will be happy about that. Uh, But if you are one of those junkies who likes to face your fear on YouTube, there's plenty of videos that you can watch there. But I shared with you last week that one of the truths of all people is that you are only born with one of, or actually two fears. You're born with two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Whenever every baby is born, for whatever reason, that's built into them that they have these basic fears. Now, by the time you grow to about a year old, a new fear begins to set in for all children, and that is the fear of being left by your parents. That's why it's so crucial that you spend lots of time with your kids in those early years because they develop this natural fear that you are going to leave them and that you're going to be alone. And, you know, sometimes we kind of joke with our kids, we're going to leave them somewhere. And then they have this terrible panic reaction. We realize that was not something to joke about because that's a real fear for them. 
As parents, we have to judge the way that we help our kids handle that fear because what you and I can do is we can benefit from our children's fear that they will never want to leave us. And the reality is, is that's all fun and great until they get to be about 45 years old and they're still not leaving. Uh, So we have a, a responsibility to help our children deal with their fears. The reality is, is sometimes we're better at helping people with their fears than we are with dealing with our own. And so the truth is, is that if that's the truth, there's two fears we're born with, one that develops about a year later. What that shows us is that a lot of the fears that you and I have are actually learned fears in life. Go ahead and put that next slide up. This is from the Journal of Social Cognitive and Effective Neuroscience. This is just a study. Now, you take it for what it's worth. But for those that study this kind of stuff, this is what they have determined, that in developing the fears beyond those first three, that the neural processes associated with the development of fear are the same whether you personally experience the event or if you just witnessed it. In other words, you will begin to learn fears whether something bad happens to you or you watch somebody else and something bad happens to them. The exact same thing happens within your minds and within those processes to begin to develop and cement this fear that can stay with you literally for the rest of your life. It all can happen just by what we see and just by what we watch. Every other fear that you and I have beyond those first three, those are things that come in later. And they generally fall within those five areas that I shared with you last week. They have to do with just, am I going to die? Is my life going to end? Your fear of heights is based in a fear of of dying. There's a fear of mutilation. I'm going to lose some ability to do something. And so I just am very careful. You know, like the guy in the bubble, I want to make sure nothing happens to me. And that's also where the fear of bugs and insects and snakes and sharp things come from. That that fear that something's going to harm me or cause something not to work right. There's a Fear that you're going to lose some kind of independence or autonomy. And sometimes the way that we handle our relationships has to do with our fear that we are somehow going to lose who we are in ourselves. Sometimes we try to control other people around us. Sometimes we give others control of us for those same fears. There's several fears that they all begin to coalesce and to group together. Now... What I want to talk with you about today is how do you, as a follower of Christ, deal with your fear and be able to overcome it? Because ultimately, we all have to do that. We all come to a place where we have to deal with what's going on in us. And you, you are surrounded by images of fear that threaten to cause you to withdraw from the world around you, the very world that Christ said go into and influence You are surrounded by those images. Turn on any TV. Listen to the radio. Listen to the news. Watch political campaigns. And you will find time and time again what is being pushed over and over is the fear of something or overcoming the fear of something. That's why many of the political campaigns right now are talking about how bad this person is. And you should be afraid of what's going to happen if they become whatever office they're running for. You should be afraid of that. That's why when we turn on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or whatever your flavor of news is, 
Whenever you turn it on, that's why the breaking stories are always something bad. No one ever breaks in with a breaking story that a kitten has been rescued, has they? At least not in any reputable news place. But instead, they break in with shootings. They break in with these horrendous things that have happened to people. For some of you that do have the fear of heights this week, we heard a breaking news story that a guy who's been on the job for a, on a tall building fell 53 stories to his death this week, thereby cementing many of us the reason we do not like to get on ladders because six feet and 53 stories is really about the same distance, right? <laughs> we read about that stuff. We see it. What are the top news stories that dominate the news cycle right now? Just throw some out. What, what are you seeing on the news? Politics? It's just scary enough. ISIS? Terrorism? Plane crashes? Diseases you may get from a mosquito that's making its way around the world? Right? Everywhere we turn, there are those elements of fear. If we watch our favorite TV shows... Almost all of our favorite TV shows have some element of fear or overcoming that fear. And what we've learned about people who love horror movies is it's, it's not the fear that they love. It's the feeling that they survived a great fear when the movie's over. Which you never thought about that when you went to go see your favorite horror movie. But you have this elated feeling like, I made it. I survived because there's something in us that wants to celebrate the overcoming of fear in our lives. See, we all have that opportunity. And if we are learned, if these fears are learned, not only can they be unlearned, but it begins to change the way we look at the world around us, the way we look at the stimuli that we allow into our lives and into our children's lives. Because it are those images that can cause irrational fears that cause us not to act in the way that God truly wants us to. If fears are learned, they can be unlearned. Now here's the problem. It is very difficult to unlearn a feeling, isn't it? And I can unlearn certain things. I mean, I unlearn how to operate the vacuum cleaner pretty much every week. I unlearn that, right? I unlearn. I don't know how that mop works. I can't figure it out. I knew it last week, but this week I can't figure it out, right? Folding clothes? Man, I, I, I can unlearn stuff like that. But a feeling you can't unlearn, right? Have you ever had those awkward moments like whenever you were in high school and you had a dream about... A friend, and all of a sudden they were more than a friend, but it was only in the dream. And then you had to go to school and sit next to them, and you feel awkward. It's like, whoa, are we dating or not? I don't know. I don't know how to feel. <laughs> Our feelings, they can convince us of things that aren't true, or they can convince us of things that are true actually aren't true. You know, feelings are so fickle. The way that we respond emotionally to things are so fickle. Our, our opinions are often based on how we feel. Whatever political candidate you're endorsing, if you're endorsing a political candidate, is probably about how you feel. We often choose music that we put on our phones or our computers or in the car. We usually pick that based on how that music makes us feel. And it's amazing what the power of a feeling can be. Did you know that when you remember an event, 
you do not just remember the specifics of that event. Your brain actually stores all of these different stimulus that that will come into that event. You will remember a smell. There are times that I can think of my grandmother's house, and every time I think of it, it, it is accompanied by a smell, right? Do you have those? You can go into an event, and an event itself you want to repeat over and over and over again because you have felt something there. In fact, many of us are often chasing feelings, and we're trying to collect as many of these emotions, good positive emotions, as we can. And sometimes we believe that if we can consume enough things, then then we will feel good and happy. If I just get this thing or that thing. Or maybe we've decided that we want to go to every live concert we can go to because the first one we went to, it felt so good to be there. Maybe it's an amusement park. The roller coaster was so awesome. I love the thrill of the roller coaster. And so as soon as you walk in the doors of your favorite amusement park, you just feel these feelings flooding all over you, how wonderful this is. There's a reason that people don't like to go buy funeral homes. Because if you've buried a loved one, a funeral home does not hold good feelings. And so when you see a funeral procession, I know... Oftentimes, I'll see a funeral procession come by, and one of the things that really, there are a few things that choke me up, but whenever I see traffic actually get over as a funeral procession comes by, I get choked up. I remember those that I have lost, that I have cared about, and so I remember that feeling, and I experience it to a small degree. I remember that feeling, and I experience it again when I see that hearse come down the road. You know, it's amazing how our feelings are tied to events. If you've ever been tempted to go back to the place where you had your honeymoon, it's probably because there was a feeling attached to that place. Whenever you go back and you visit your parents' house, there's a feeling attached to that place. Have you ever felt as an adult child, you're, a, you're an adult, but you're still someone's child, and you go home, and yet all of a sudden, as soon as you walk in the door, you feel like you're 16 again? Like you're under the curfew. What are the rules that I got to follow? You ever feel like that? It's amazing how often we do that because we, our feelings are stored with the events that happen in our lives. It is much easier to, ch- to change a behavior or to change a, an a action, but changing our feelings, that's not so easy. So what I don't want to do is try to give you a three-step formula For you to unlearn the feeling of fear. Because in all honesty, you cannot do that. You cannot unlearn the emotion of fear. That is something that's going to come with you. Whenever you have people that you love around you, your fears will actually increase. Because now you will place on them fears that not only will something happen to you, now you fear something will happen to them. We joke sometimes about the the hovering helicopter parent who wipes down the counter as soon as somebody looks at it because there might be a germ left, right? We joke about that, but there's real fear for some parents that their children are going to get sick, especially if they grew up in a home that there was a lot of sickness. There are many things that we can do, and as we look through Scripture, there are many things that Scripture teaches us to do. We can't unlearn this emotional feeling. But what we can do is change how you and I respond to it. Can't take away your fear. 
but can change the way that you respond to that fear. As we look at Christians, and if you're here today visiting with us and you're not sure about your faith, you're not sure if this is something you're interested in, I want, I want you to know that, that this is what we're talking about today is crucial because of the many fears that we live in in life. But what I'm going to share with you is specific to those who are following Christ because what Scripture tells us about overcoming fear and the way that God has gifted us it is a certain way that only happens for those who know Christ. If you know Christ, if you want to know Christ, you have that opportunity to also experience this in your own life. 2 Timothy 1, verses 5 through 7, we read last week. It's going to be, we're also going to read it next week as well. It says, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Paul, as you'll remember, his last letter that he wrote, he's writing it to Timothy, a young guy that he has this rich heritage with his mother and his grandmother of being just incredible, strong pillars of the faith. Yet Timothy is thinking, I'm not sure this is for me. I'm not sure I want to go this route. I mean, I, 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 want to, I love God, and I, but I'm not sure I really want to reach out to people because it's messy when, when you do that. And Paul is encouraging him, face your fear and, and go for it. He's dealing with Timothy's fear that he's dealing with in his life. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that, fell, that first dwelt first. Okay, let me start over. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, last week we talked about power, that this word power in the Greek language is the exact same word used to talk about the power that raised Jesus from the dead. God has literally gifted you as a follower of Christ with that same power to overcome any fear. And if that power can raise Jesus from the dead, imagine what that power can do in your life. Today I want to talk to you about what does it look like to have that self-control. We're going to talk about love next week, but what about self-control? You realize that in the original text, this is the only place that this is worded like this in the New Testament. This combination that comes up with the word self-control or in some of your versions, self-discipline. It literally means a controlled response as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. So whenever... Paul is telling Timothy, don't be afraid. You have been given self-control. What he's saying is, as a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has done certain things in your life, including the fruit of the Spirit, that is going to give you the ability to control your reaction to things as they come to you. Now, how many of us would love to be able to control our reactions? Is anybody just really good at that? Some of you are thinking, well, I am, but I'm not raising my hand. But a lot of us could probably point to several places in our lives that we wish we had reacted differently. The ability to be self-disciplined is not the ability to always determine that I'm going to set this foot in front of the other and to say, this is what I will do with my life. Instead, it is the way that we respond to things as a result of the Holy Spirit being at work in our life. Our ability to control our response to fear is dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why I say what we're looking at in the ability to overcome these fears, it is dependent on a relationship with Jesus. He has to do certain things to overcome our natural tendencies. 
You and I have natural tendencies. We are naturally afraid of things we don't know or understand, and even more so what you and I can't control. Do you realize most of your fears revolve around the need to control things? And when something is is brought in, introduced, that you can't control, it will naturally create fear. We'll try to control it. The more that it's evident that it's out of our control, the greater our fear becomes. And in fact, for many of us, we try to live our lives controlling everything that happens. Sometimes we do a disservice to ourselves and our families. Sometimes we do a disservice to our children. There are times that we want to control exactly what they do. We make sure that they don't touch anything that's sharp, and yet if they don't learn to handle things that are sharp, they will eventually come upon a sharp thing when you're not around, right? Right now, Deidre and I are learning to control our fear as Jake takes the wheel for the first time, and we're in the same vehicle with him. But if we don't teach Jake how to drive, that means we're going to be driving him everywhere he goes for the rest of his life is not an acceptable solution for me. I will conquer my fear so that I don't have to drive him everywhere he wants to go. But yet, as our children age, that fear escalates, doesn't it? To the first time that they leave and they drive on their own or they drive with their friends or they ride with their friends. We're not in control in those situations. We want to be able to control that thing. And the reality is, as a follower of Christ, we have to recognize that there is a world that operates outside of what we see with our eyes and what we can control with our decisions. And knowing Christ and walking with Him, it's learning to walk not only in this world, but to walk in His. And when you begin to see how great God is, you begin to see that you and I really have very little control in this world after all. God himself is the one who is in control. And while he allows us to take steps and he allows us to make choices and he allows us to have the illusion of control, at the end of the day, when you're on your knees praying because something terrible is happening, you are praying that God is in control and that it's not up for you to control it yourself. Fear is a terrible thing. Fear tells us we're not good enough. Fear tells us I'm not enough. In relationships, fear says you're going to screw this up. And so you screw it up. Fear tells us that if we make a mistake, people won't have anything to do with us again. The reality is, is there are so many stimuli out there reinforcing these things to be true. That if you remember, it's not just that if something bad happens to you, if you witness it for someone else, it compounds your fear. Going back to Jake driving, that fear, it's, it's, you know, we joke about it. We're not that afraid, but you hear about these teenagers who take their first solo drive and never come home after that. Didn't happen to me, but it raises my fear, right? How do we overcome that? See, at some point, you and I have to walk by something other than the emotions that control us. And the reality is the world in which you live, the people that you come in contact, most of them are controlled by their emotions, not by some deeper lying principle that can change that. 
So we read in Galatians chapter 5. It talks about walking by the Spirit, this fruit of the Spirit. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We jump ahead to verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. There are all kinds of examples out there. And truth be known, you've already come up with your own examples in your head because you have your own set of fears that control you at times. But we can look through Scripture and find plenty of places that people who were great followers of God exhibited fear. The difference was they did not let that fear control them. They changed the way they responded to it. And they changed the world because of it. One of the fears that I think back to is, is really in the Old Testament. And it's, if you'll remember, the story of the Exodus. When Moses is rescuing the Hebrew people. And Pharaoh has said, you can go. Just take your people and go. And they left. Pharaoh eventually changed his mind and came after him. Now, the way that you have to read these kinds of historical stories is you can't read them based on the knowledge of what happens at the end. You know, you don't pick up the the best new thriller and read the last chapter first. You don't rent a movie and read or, or and watch the ending before you watch the beginning. But yet when we read these stories, we don't have that benefit because most of the time we know how they're going to end. And so we read them as and it's no big deal. But if you put yourself in the position of where they were, they're running Pharaoh's fast on their heels and we have this exchange between Moses and his people in Exodus chapter 14 it said when Pharaoh drew near the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord they said to Moses is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness I mean we're done we're dead why did you bring us out here to die at least we had a place to live What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, fear not. See, this would all have come out as anger, as judgment, of shaming, of guilt. But Moses knew what was happening and it was fear. If you and I truly could tap into what fear can do for us, what it can do to us, it will change the way we respond to people who themselves are acting in fear in ways that don't immediately look like fear. Often anger is based on fear. Withdrawal is based on fear. If we look past what they're doing and recognize the fear that they're dealing with and we are in tune with our own struggle to deal with our own fears, it will change the way we respond to them. He says, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Watch, he will work for you today. For the Egyptians, Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And we can read these stories and go, well, that was them. It's not my situation. It's not what I'm going through. And yet at this moment, 
God was already working to part the Red Sea for them to walk through. But they didn't know that. All they had was their fear. How many times is God ready to do something incredible in the circumstance causing you great fear, but we're so afraid that we won't trust him to do the work, and so we begin to hedge our bet and back out and try to orchestrate and control things so that the bad things we're afraid are going to happen so that maybe they won't happen. When really, what it takes is us trusting someone to deal with it for us. You see, it takes trust to overcome fear. Whenever I go out on a high place, when that high place literally can be six feet over the ground, one of our most exciting moments at our house is when I get the ladder out. And I've got to go up on the roof. Now, we have a roof now that we have these windows on the roof. I can literally walk out of the roof and be walk out of the walk out of the roof. That would not be good. I walk out of the window and I'm on the roof, which is a wonderful thing. That's if no other reason it was reason we should have bought that house. But if you don't like ladders like me, it's it's not being on the ladder, it's not ascending the ladder. It's really not even being at the top of the ladder depending on how high that is. It's that transition from the ladder to the roof. Can I get an amen? All right, you guys are not willing to admit your own fear or I'm the only one. And so now Jake's old enough and he's bigger than Deidre, so I put him at the bottom of the ladder to hold it because I see the ladder going this way as I go this way. And yet, before that was the case, Deidre would be down there and it would be some tense exchanges. (laughs) I'm holding the ladder. I'm holding the ladder. I mean, it's moving. It's not moving. You're fine. Just go. Get on. I miss by you. That's about how the conversation goes. There's not a lot of intelligible words, just a lot of sweating, you know. (laughs) But I'd eventually get on the roof. I do what I have to do, and I'll stay up there a good three or four days because the next thing I have to do is get back down and go through the same process. So I try to group my tasks up there. All the while, what I need to do is trust the person holding the ladder. See, there are many times that you and I deal with fear, and if we have somebody who's been through it, or someone who's not afraid of it, they can help us. I imagine that was what it would be like to jump out of a plane, though I'll never know. If you trust someone to help you through it, you can overcome that fear. I don't want to make this a pop psychology session, because, you know, psychology is what it is. Sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not. They'll psychologists, if you go to a psychologist and say, help me overcome my fear, they're going to say, you need to expose yourself to that instance as many times as possible, and eventually you'll either overcome it or you'll die. I mean, <laughs> one of the two things will happen. But that's not really how things work. And there are some fears that God has given you to save you. Sometimes you need to embrace that fear, and God is saying, stay away from that. I've got other plans for you. It takes trust to overcome fear. Let me ask you these two questions. What do you fully trust in? Think about that. What do you fully trust in? You trust those seats are going to hold you up? I think they will. Trust your car is going to get you where you need to go? I'm hoping it will. 
Do you trust that when you go home that everything's going to be the way it's supposed to be or you'll get a phone call and from your favorite friend or loved one and everything's great with them? What do you trust in fully? But what's deeper than that is in whom do you fully trust? Now, if we were really honest, you and I really got down to the brass tacks. If we really got down to what's going on inside of us, the number of people we fully trust in is probably very small. Now, we'll tell people we trust them, but we trust them as long as we're in control of what's going on with this person. I don't really trust them. I don't really trust that some of you in this room, if I were up on a ladder, wouldn't push me over off the ladder and then laugh with your friends about it. Some of you in this room, I don't trust fully that way. Well, I might. Scott's not in here, so I might trust everybody in now. I'm kidding. Aaron's in, Aaron would totally push me over That's, and laugh the whole way. Before she did it, during and after. No, Aaron's great. She wouldn't do that to me, would you, Aaron? I didn't hear what that was, but I don't think I want to know. Yeah, right. And whom do you fully trust? We don't trust in a lot of things. We don't trust in a lot of people. Do you fully trust in God? Isn't that? Wow. And that's what you expect when you come to hear a sermon. The end of the day, for the Holy Spirit to be able to help us to overcome our fear, we have to trust the one that's doing the work within us. Many times we're not so certain because we trust God only as far as we can control our response to what God is doing. When God acts completely out of the blue, it throws us for a loop and we're not sure how to to deal with it. And then at that point, we're not real happy with God. And whom do we fully trust? Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, if you'll notice, he's not suggesting maybe you shouldn't be afraid. He's telling you, do not fear. God is literally commanding his people. He is saying, if you are going to follow me, do not fear. Now, as I've already said, that's great to say and it preaches well. But when it comes to the end of the day, I still have fear. When we look at the apostles, they still had fear. When we look at Jesus in the garden before he was crucified, Jesus had fear. So what is what is he saying here? He's commanding us not to fear, be afraid. And yet we've already established that that's impossible. So what is he really saying to us? And I believe what he's saying is simply this, trust me, trust me, trust me. Now, here's the problem, and this is one of the problems. If you were watching the news again this week, the breaking news stories are always about fear. But there was a story that was very significant, and you may or may not have heard. And it is that many in our current government are now saying, finally saying, that ISIS is committing genocide against Christians and some other groups as well. That it's reaching the levels of the Holocaust. This is where it's hard for you and I as American Christians. Because you and I don't have to deal with the things the rest of the world deals with. At least not yet. It may be coming. It's not here now. 
We don't have to deal with the fact that someone is waiting to find out if I'm a Christian and then they're going to kill me because I am. I don't live my life that way. Now, we hear these stories about things that happen in random places and these random crazy people who will kill others based on their faith. But it doesn't happen very often. And most of us aren't really worried about it happening here, though it could happen here. But when you live in other parts of the world, and this was the exact environment in which Paul is writing this letter saying, do not fear. At that time, they were being killed. They were being tortured. They were being persecuted in great lengths. For you and I to understand that, we have to, we have to go submerge ourselves in another culture in which that kind of hatred and anger, that kind of persecution happens on a regular basis. You and I really, we don't deal with those things very often. Our fears are more, can I make it to retirement? And will I have a retirement I'm going to enjoy? Not so much, am I going to live? Will I live? So what he's asking us to trust him with is so much more than just our getting by from day to day. He's asking us to trust him with everything. And that is why there are times that God actually allows terrible things to happen to his people. Because he's not asking them to trust him that nothing bad will happen. He's asking us to trust him that at the end of the day, he's going to take care of us. See, so many of us, are we are so glued We are so glued to what happens in these 70, 80 years of our life that we ignore what's happening in all of eternity. We're so afraid that we're going to disappoint somebody or not experience something or with all the commercials we watch, I won't get to consume enough stuff in this lifetime. When what God is consistently saying is, trust me, I have your future mapped out. It is a brilliant, wonderful, incredible future that lasts for all of eternity. Trust me. Even if your life is taken from you in this place, this place pales to what you're going to experience for the rest. Will you trust me? We begin to trust God at that level. We begin to understand that the way that we live our lives is not so much about our emotions because our emotions are flawed. Instead, it's about living by what God says is true. Psalm 56 says, when I am afraid... I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? This is what I want to leave you with this morning. You know, I'm not big on lists and formulas, but I want to give you some things from Philippians chapter 4 that you can take with you if you're dealing with some of your own fears in your life. Philippians chapter 4, starting with verse 4 again, another letter from Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, let that sink in. Let your reasonableness, your ability to think through, your ability to cognitively understand what's happening and to reason. You realize God has given you that intellect and that ability to use it? God wants you to think things through. God's given you that ability. In fact, he goes so far and says, let your ability to do this be evident to everybody else. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. 
The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Why do we make our requests be known to God rather than being anxious about things? It's because we recognize we're not the ones in control as much as we want to be. He's the one who's in control, not us. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, and this is so applicable to all of us in the room. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. It may be that you and I need to turn off some of the things that are forcing these fears down our throats. You realize a great amount of marketing that you see in commercials and radio ads and print and in internet marketing is based on fear. The fear of what your life will be without this thing. You need to have this thing or it's not going to work out well for you. Look at how happy these people are because they have our thing If you don't have our thing, you won't be happy like them. You'll be unhappy. So you need this thing. Do you realize how much of marketing is about the fear of not having something? And yet, if you ask most people who have a lot, they will say they wish they didn't have so much. I talked to a pastor a couple of weeks ago. Great guy here in town. He was living in a parsonage at the church in which he pastored, and several months ago it burned down, lost everything. His daughter had just gotten married, had all her wedding gifts in the house. They all burned. They were gone. Everything's gone. It was a temporary living situation. They hadn't purchased renter's insurance. They didn't have content insurance. They lost it all. Didn't get any of it back. Not a dime to replace any of it. It was amazing what he said. As everyone sat around the room thinking, oh, my, wow, it's horrible. He said, it's been great. He said, to have all that stuff gone has been so liberating and freeing. And the response of his daughter, who had just gotten married, well, she had never even had a chance to use any of that stuff, so she hadn't gotten used to it, and she was just fine. Well, how many of us allow the marketing of fear, drive us to take on things that just cause more anxiety within us. We've got to limit the stimuli that come into our lives that cause us this anxiety. It may mean that you need to stop watching some movies. You need to stop watching some TV shows. It may mean turning the news off because newsflash, the news isn't about reporting the news anymore. The news is about selling airtime. That's how they make money. I'm not saying you need to be oblivious to what's happening in the world, but perhaps we need to not be plugged in 24-7 to it. So how do we deal with this stuff? Place your trust and your hope in God. Isn't that such a simple answer? Not so simple to do, maybe, but it's a simple answer. Ultimately, we have to know Christ. We have to come to that place in humility. We say, I need you to save me. 
First Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves. Remember, humility is the thing that brings us to the, to the cross with the ability to even want to know Christ. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Second thing is this, control your thoughts. Control what you think about. An overactive mind is a terrible thing. Put your mind on the things that are encouraging, that are good. We love movies. We've seen some incredible movies. We've seen some movies that leave us depressed at the end. What about your TV show? There's different crime dramas we have loved to watch over the years, but crime dramas often increase your overall anxiety about life in general because you see all these horrific things on a regular basis. And once they're in syndication, you can watch them seasons at a time. Control your thoughts. Control what's going in those. What Paul is saying is control where you spend your time and let God do the rest. A good question to ask yourself if you're controlling your thoughts is where does your mind settle? Where does it settle? Third thing we see from this passage is that we follow God's instructions implicitly. Living in God's kingdom means that we have to live in God's kingdom. Following His instructions means we follow His instructions. We don't try to figure out which are the good ones and which aren't. We follow God's instructions implicitly. And ultimately, rather than seeking comfort, which is what fear tries to steal from you, Instead of seeking comfort, seek peace. Because that's what God promises. Not the absence of anxiety, but peace in the midst of that anxiety. Last passage I want to read to you, Isaiah 43.1. Thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. While that was written well before Jesus walked the earth, it is the same message that he's given us. He's redeemed us. He saved us. And at the end of the day, when this is all said and done, we have an eternity with Him in a perfect place. Seek peace over comfort. What I want you to know is at the end of the day, when you're trying to overcome your fear, is that God has given you very much. He's given you everything you need to fight the fear that wants to cripple you. He's given it to you in the form of His Word to trust in His promises. He's given it to you in a great way through the Holy Spirit to work the fruit of the Spirit in you to overcome those fears. And what you will find is if you want to live a life that is enviable, that is a life of someone who has learned to face their fear, but they're no longer controlled by them. That's what you and I are called to. Parents, this is the life that we've got to share with our children. It could be very easy for a child to say, I want to I go share my faith in a place in the world that's very dark and disturbing. Our fear can cause us to say, oh, you shouldn't want to do that. That's not for you. For fear of something bad will happen to them. I would hate for something bad to happen to my children. But to know that they know Christ means that at the end of the day, what can really be done to them? At the end of the day, they're going to know Christ. They're going to be with Him in heaven. 
You and I, as we fight our fears, we learn to fear not. We learn to let God handle and control the things that He can control, and we follow in His steps, and we make the hard choices even when there's still fear involved. I'm going to pray with you. We're going to close out with one more song. And I know that some people are dealing with different things today. Some of your fears are more evident and more painful than others. I want you to know that God sees that fear, and these truths are true for your fear, no matter how severe and how crippling it is. God can overcome that. Trust in Him. Believe in what He can do. And allow the Holy Spirit to give you the self-discipline and the self-control to respond differently from now on. Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you are a God who has saved us. You have redeemed us. You hold us up in your righteous hand. Father, you do not allow us to be destroyed or to dwindle away. Father, I thank you for the promises that we have for a future, a home with you. Lord, I pray that you would fix our eyes on that rather than the things we see in this broken place. Lord, help us to have wisdom in the stimuli that we allow into our lives, those things that automatically create anxiety and fear when there's no need for that. For those things that we have no choice but to deal with, I pray that you would give us the strength and you would give us the self-discipline that we can respond in a way that would not only please you, but would help change this world around us. I thank you for so many different examples of those who have willingly given their lives as a martyr because of their love for you. I thank you for your promises that they are trustworthy, both in this life and in the one to come. And Father, I pray that you would help us to live bold, confident lives following you. Even when our emotions want to drive us away, that you have given us a spirit that is able to follow you through those times. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.